I always like to start out, well, not always, but most of the time I like to start out with a confession because I feel like it just puts us on even, um, an even playing field. Because when you come to a church, a lot of times you'll look at the preacher and you're like, oh, he's better than me. But like, once I confess stuff, you're like, he's just as screwed up as I am. So, and if you're not screwed up, this is not your church. We'll mess you up. So this is my confession. And, and it's just, it's legit. It's true. It's coming from a very pure heart. I couldn't say it any clearer. I don't understand women. <laughs> now, if you're a woman and you just got mad, don't get mad at me because you don't understand you because when you cry and somebody asks you why you're crying, you don't know. So you don't understand you. So don't be judging me, lady. It's Christmas. I understand women, and I realized this um, years ago, but it was like there was exclaimed to me during a, well, I was in a meeting, we're all around the tables, bunch of people, and I was sitting next to a lady that I don't know, and I discovered that women sometimes that you don't know will volunteer information to you that you don't care about, um, just hypothetically, and so we're about 30 minutes into this meeting, and this lady looks at me, and she said, my feet are killing me, and I, I didn't know why she volunteered that information to me, I'm a pastor, I didn't know she wanted me to pray for her feet, I didn't know she thought I was a charismatic, and I could anoint her feet, like I didn't know what was wrong with her feet. I, and, and I was like, I, I'm, I'm sorry, because that's what men do. We just apologize. We're fixers. And men, it and everything our fault anyway, ultimately. So we just say, I'm sorry. So I was like, I'm so sorry your feet hurt. About 10, 15 minutes later, she said, she said, you don't understand. My feet are killing me. And I was like, I don't know what you want me to do about, you know, I mean, I'm, I just, just whatever. So meeting continued. The third time she said it, I had to ask. I was like, do you? Do you have like a foot condition? Is it contagious? Can I catch like mad foot disease from you or whatever? She said, oh, no, 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 no. I know why my feet are hurting. It's my shoes. I was like, what, what do you mean? She said, well, my shoes, these shoes are killing my feet. Now, I just, I, I'm, a, I'm a very rational person. And so I just had this thought. It just crossed my mind. It was brilliant. I said, if your shoes are hurting your feet, why don't you just Take them off. Yeah, 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 yeah. She said, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. They're, too, they're, they're cute. <laughs> now, this is something that men don't do. We don't sit around and talk about cute shoes. We, um, if, if shoes hurt our feet, we just take them off. Right, men? Amen? A men? Amen? Anybody going to back me up on this one? So, so I, said, I said, well, I, the, the shoes hurt your feet. She said, yeah. I, I said, have they always hurt your feet? She's like, oh, yeah, they hurt my feet when I bought them. And I was like, well, then why did you buy them? She said, well, they're so cute because they go with this outfit, and I just wear them because they're cute. And I said, they hurt your feet, but they're cute, and you still wear them. She said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she pointed at her purse. Now, this purse, you could have put the country of Peru in this purse. I mean, this purse was humongous. And she said, I've got a backup shoe, pair of shoes in my purse, so when I can't take the pain of these shoes any longer, I wear my backup shoes. And I was completely confused. I said, so... You wear something that's cute until you can't take it anymore, and then you totally get rid of it. And she was like, yep. And I thought about that when I was preparing this message, and I thought, I thought about how Christianity is kind of like that. Really. For Christianity, for the, about the past 50 years in America primarily, has been cute. In other words, people have worn it but haven't necessarily embraced it. And the reason I say that is because we see reports nearly uh, at least once a month, I saw one two days ago, that people are walking away from the church in droves. And the younger people get, the more likely they are to leave the church. 
And now people still have, um, they still admire Jesus. It's, it's not a Jesus thing. People still believe in God. It's not a God thing. It's that people are walking away from church. And I started thinking about that illustration and I started thinking, the reason I think a lot of people are walking away from the church today is because for the past 10, 20, 30, 40 years, church has been cute, but it hasn't been comfortable. And people are finally saying, you know what, I don't have to take that anymore, and they're walking away. Now, when I say it hasn't been comfortable, a lot of old schoolers or old timers go, that's right, people just can't handle the preaching of the word. That's not it. People can't handle the truth. I don't think that's it either. I think people are walking away from the church because I think the church primarily, Christianity in America at least, has had three main messages that they communicate on a regular basis. And I'm not pointing fingers. I've actually been a part of this myself. And so here are the three main messages that the church preaches. And this is the way I think, this is the reason I think people are walking away in droves. Here it is. Number one, you're not good enough. Have you ever felt not good enough? Story of my life. I was driving by um, a football field just this past week and I told my daughter, I said, like, that's where daddy played football when I was a kid. And she said, really? I was like, no, actually, I never played that much, honey. I sat on the bench, and I learned all the cheers with the cheerleaders. I knew every cheer that the McKissick Indians cheered because I, I wasn't good enough to get on the field. I wasn't good enough in academics. I wasn't good enough, like middle school, high school dating, huh? I got turned down more times than the sheets of the Holiday Inn, all right? I did not excel in that area. So I, and, and when it comes to, like, morality or being a good person, I just never felt good enough. And, and at the end of the day, nobody wants to show up to a place week after week after week, and here's the message. You're not good enough, go home. Eventually, if you tell me I'm not good enough, I don't want to come back around, right? Anybody with me on this? Okay, so you're not good enough. That's one of the primary messages. The second message I think that the church communicates, whether they know it or not, is this. You're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. Now, I don't know if you're a New Year's resolution type person. I hope you're not because I will make fun of you all through the month of January. The reason I make fun of you is because years ago I discovered I was not a New Year's resolution person. Every year I'd be like, this is the year I'm going to get serious about weight loss. And like four days in, I'm like, are those wings? <laughs> this chicken is healthy, right? Um, but the one thing I know about every single person in this room is you're not looking for more to do in 2020. Nobody's here going, okay, I need more to do. And so I'm going to start volunteering to cut my neighbor's grass. I'm going to take out my neighbor's trash. And I need three kittens, two dogs, and a kid. And I, need, I just need more complexity in my life. Nobody's doing that. So when we show up to a church and we're told you need to do more, try harder, do more, try harder, do more, try harder, and we feel like we're already falling short, we're not good enough, and we're told to do more, we feel like we can't win. And you know what I've discovered about people? If they're playing a game that they can't win, they'll quit. They'll walk away. And the problem in the church today, don't miss this, is we've mistaken spiritual activity for spiritual intimacy. And I know people that have been involved in Bible studies and taught Sunday school and memorized sections of Scripture that when you get them by themselves, they're mean as a snake. You ever met that person? Okay, no, you don't have to point. I, I'm just saying, you, you, we've all met. 
The third message, the third message I think that the church communicates on a consistent basis is this, and this one is the one that breaks my heart the most. God is so disappointed in you. You ever heard that? I heard a very popular preacher who I admire say this to his congregation a couple weeks ago. I was listening on a, on a podcast, and I wanted to go through the podcast and just because I this is something I'll get, I'll fight over this. God is not listen. God is not disappointed in you because if he were disappointed in you, he wouldn't be God because he wouldn't be all-knowing. The only way you can disappoint God is surprise him, and you can't surprise God. For example, how many of you have ever seen the movie Titanic? Titanic. <laughs> Let's say this afternoon, it's Christmas time, you watch a bunch of movies at Christmas time, we're all going to watch the movie Titanic. Now, you know how the story ends, right? I mean, it's just, it, it just ends the same way every time. We've seen it thousands of times. It just happens that way. And so we're sitting in your living room because you can't come to my house because um, when people come to my house, it gets awkward when I want them to leave. And so, um, so it's like, hey, time to leave, and they won't leave. So you just strip down to your underwear, and they finally leave. So <laughs> you're, you're sitting there, and, and, and we're watching the movie at your house, and it, it comes to that scene, and when the movie's over, I'm like, oh. And you're like, what? And I'm like, the boat sunk again. And you're like, haven't you seen the movie? I'm like, yeah, but I thought, I thought it was going to turn out different this time. And you're like, what do you mean? Every time, period, every time, every time the ship hits the iceberg, every time Rose says, I'll never let you go, and drops him like a bad habit. Hello. Every time, every time it happens. Like, we've seen the movie, so we know how the movie ends, like we talked about last week. Well, here's the deal. God, when he created us, knew every stupid, foolish, sinful thing we were ever going to do. He went ahead and created us anyway and arranged for the payment to be made for. At the end of the day, you have never been a disappointment to God, no matter who told you that you were. Because God is God. So, so when it comes to these three messages, this is what, I believe this is one of the reasons that so many people are leaving the church in droves, because nobody wants to show up in here, point number one, you're not good enough. Point number two, you're not doing enough. Because of this, point number three, God has disappointed you. Come back next week. Like, I'm out. I'm out of this. And so we're a lot of people. And I think what we've got to do is get back to the original message of Christianity and the original message of Jesus because as we read the scriptures, people were not pushed away by it. They were drawn into it. And that's what I think the message of Christianity does. And I think the way that we see that is we go back and, I mean, talk about a birth announcement. I mean, we sent some birth announcements out, like the birth announcement. We've had gender reveal parties and all this other stuff. This was like the best birth. When an angel announces your birth, that's like legit right there. But there's two accounts, there's two accounts of the Christmas story. There's one in the Gospel of Matthew, and there's one in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to look at the one in the Gospel of Luke because he includes a part that, that I really want to dive into today. And if you've been in church your whole life, and you've heard the Christmas story your whole life, I'll guarantee you that you've never heard some of the things that we're going to dive into today. This is what Scripture says in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. That night... Aren't you glad God shows up at night? 
I don't know about you, but like during the daytime, sometimes I think I'm good. But at night, like when I'm going through the nighttime, whether it's a physical thing or a spiritual thing, God shows up at the night and he's going to walk with us through the night when we're having doubts or when we're discouraged or when we're worried. God's going to walk with us through the night. And when he walks with us through the night, joy always comes in the morning. I wish somebody would like that because I sure do like that. Anyway, we'll just keep going because that night there were shepherds. 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 See, when we read that, we kind of skip over it because we've seen the Charlie Brown Christmas story where they just recite, Linus recites it at the end, and we're just like shepherds. Staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Now, we just, we just skim right over that because let's be honest, most of us don't know many shepherds, right? Unless you're from Belton. <laughs> I know a couple. And you might find this hard to believe, but when I first went to Anderson College, on a pause, I know it's Anderson University now, but when I went there, the degree I paid thousands of dollars for says Anderson College on it. If they want me to say Anderson University, they can send me another one. Hello. So, but, I'm, no, I'm proud of them. They, they're, they're doing great. But when I went to Anderson College, I was an elementary school ed major. And during that same time, I was serving as a part-time children's pastor at a church. And I made a discovery. I love kids for five minutes. <laughs> Anybody with me on this one? And then, and then I'm like, it's your kid. It's your kid. I was like, oh, my gosh, you're so cute. And you shake them up real good and hand them back to mom. Um, that, I love kids for five minutes. And I knew I needed to get out of children's ministry because at night I would have dreams about punting children. And that's not a good, it's not a good thing. Don't judge me. You have too. But one of the games I love to play with kids, because you can play this game with kids. It's fascinating to play this game with kids. Is like, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would do that a lot because I was trying to kill time. It's, it's unbelievable the imagination that children have when it comes to what they want to be when they grow up. One girl said, I want to be a princess. And I was like, girl, you want to go to Europe because we don't do that princess thing around here. I didn't tell her that. I just kind of said that in my heart. I was like, oh, my gosh, baby, go to Disney. Be fine. Um, uh, one guy said he wanted to be a fireman, a, fireman, a policeman. One seven-year-old said, I want to be a nuclear physicist. <laughs> we got to get you some friends, bro. I don't think, but uh, praise God for that, right? Now, if we would have gone back 2,000 years ago and we would have played the game in Israel at this time, what do you want to be when you grow up? Nobody would have said shepherd. Nobody. You became a shepherd either because you made some poor decisions or life just happened to you. Shepherds were considered to be unclean. Now, to us, that's not a really big deal, but in ancient Israel, to be unclean meant that you could not go to the temple. If you could not go to the temple, you could not have your sins prayed for. If you could not have your sins prayed for, you could not be forgiven. If you could not be forgiven, you were not right with God. In other words, if you were a shepherd, you felt like you weren't good enough, you weren't doing enough, and God was absolutely disappointed in you. Shepherds were messy people. And then Luke tells us they were guarding their flock of sheep. They're, they're staying in the fields, guarding their flocks of sheep. You ever been in a sheep's field? You know what sheep do? They do 
do. They do. I feel like Dr. Seuss right now. I don't know what's going on. It's a messy place. I've been to Bethlehem. I've been in some shepherd's fields. It's a messy place. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. This is a messy place full of messy people. Now, Jerusalem, here's what's interesting. Jerusalem was six miles away, and it had the temple. It was the pretty place, and it had the Pharisees and the scribes, and it had the, it had the pretty people. But God doesn't announce the birth of Jesus at the pretty place full of pretty people. He shows up to the messy place with the messy people. Love it. This is what happened. This is, this is fascinating. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of God of the Lord of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were, what's this next word say on three? One, two, three? Terrified. You ever been terrified? I'm not talking scared. Scared and terrified are different. Scared is I jumped out from behind a, a you know, wall and I boo and I, I scared you. Which every once in a while, around Halloween, people always tell me, I'm going to scare you this year, Pastor Fee. And I'm like, you know what? I'll take a swing. I'll take a swing on you. I don't care what happens. You know what? If I get arrested, I get a raise in my church. Hello. Like, I don't care. Like, I will knock you out and feel great about it. So if you want to scare me, you go ahead. But there's a difference between being scared and terrified. Uh, for example, one morning I got up and I'm having my quiet time. And I am just in the moment with the Lord. It was great. Got my Bible, got my coffee, and I felt something on my foot. And I just took my foot, and I just kind of did like that right there, and I felt the thing on my foot start to go up my leg. And I looked down to see, what could this be upon my leg? It was a spider about that big. Mm-hmm. It went up my leg. I'm not going to tell you what went down my leg, but like it, it, got, it got real. I got terrified. Y'all remember that show when it first came out, Fear Factor? And they put a woman in a like crate and they poured spiders over her. You remember that? Oh, my God. Like, I'm getting scared. I'm terrified. Those things are terrifying. Satan made spiders and cats. Um, like, they, it, it terrified me. There are, things in the, there are things that people in this room are terrified of. For me, I'm terrified of spiders. The, the shepherds were terrified of the angels. Why were the shepherds terrified of the angels? Hadn't they been to a precious moment store? Didn't they know the angels were cute? They were all overweight, wearing togas with wings. They, how do you fly with those things? And they all had a harp and they had chubby cheeks with smiles on their faces. Hadn't they seen precious moments? This was not a precious moment moment. This was an angel and said, do not be afraid. Why were the shepherds terrified? It's very simple. If you think you're not good enough and you're not doing enough, and God's disappointed in you, when an angel shows up, it's over. You think the angel is here to destroy me, which is what a lot of people in the world think about Christianity. Have you ever, have you ever met Christians that just seem to be excited about hell? 
I didn't even say this in the other services. I'm just a little loose right now. When I say a little loose, I ain't been drinking anything. I'm just, I'm just a little loose. Do those people not worry you? There's a hell people are going like, are you excited about that right now? My God, buy a Bible, get a friend, help us, Jesus. But this seems, to, and then we wonder why people don't come to church. We just told them, you're not good enough, you're not doing enough, God's disappointed you, you're going to hell. See you next week. So Luke goes on to say this, Luke, but the angel reassured them, which is good. Don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Now, let's not skip over that because that's a big deal. The angel shows up at a messy place with messy people and said, I'm going to bring you good news. My God. Could we use some good news in America right now? I can't even watch the news because there is no good news. These people are mad at these people. These people are mad at this. You turn on the Weather Channel. Jim Cantore shows up saying, Jim Cantore shows up, you're screwed. Like that, like your town is going to get demolished. And he'll stand in the middle of it. How does that guy, he might be Jesus. I don't know because he, he just never dies, right? I can't even handle the fact that we get so much. So much I love good news because when you hear good news, even if it's not true, you want to believe it. Like if you go to the doctor and they call you and they say, I've got some news about your medical report, you want it to be good news. And if it's good news, what do you do with that good news? You call other people and you tell them about the good news that you just received. I remember going to the eye doctor one time, freaking out because we're looking at each other with this thing. He's got that machine against my face. And he goes, uh-oh. Now, two words you never want to hear your doctor say are, uh-oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, what do you mean, uh-oh? He goes, typically we don't see things like this in people your age. I'm like, well, I excel in everything, doc, so talk to me. <laughs> Eventually, we got to the, the place where I needed bifocals because my eyes are so jacked up. But the fact that my eyes could be fixed for me was good news because before I went in to see the eye doctor, I was having problems seeing. I love good news. I love to share good news. The gospel was originally supposed to be good news. You know what's good news? The fact that if we are in Christ, we are forgiven. We are new creations. The old becomes new. The death comes to life. Darkness turns to light. We are forgiven. We are free. And we get to spend eternity in a place called heaven. That's good news. So, so, so the gospel is good news that will bring great joy. Those are two words that most people would not associate with Christianity. Great joy. We might say great anger, great frustration, but not, do you know that God wants you to be full of joy? Like the message we get in most churches are like, don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. And, and like that gets kind of jammed down our neck for the longest time. But God wants us to have great joy. He's not after our begrudging submission. He's after our, he wants us to be full of joy. And I'm telling you, I worked in the restaurant industry for years. There's a lot of people call themselves Christians that have no joy. Come in on Sunday, they're mean. They make up food right, and then they don't. They even tip. They leave you a track that looks like a, like a fifty dollar bill, and you open it up, and it says disappointed. Wouldn't be if you accepted Christ as your savior. 
I'm like, disappointed wouldn't be if I could get my foot out of your... Anyway, that's, that's just what went through my mind. I'm just being honest. Now, I've met some Christians, and I don't know if you've met these people like, I don't think we're supposed... This is of the world, and we got to suffer, and we got to do this, and God... I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you do with heaven? Because everything I read about heaven is going to be awesome. Like, that whole wedding supper of the Lamb, that's going to be good. Like with a food, with food that Jesus prepared, and like, like, and 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 wine. I, I, I just tell y'all what the Bible says. All right, if you're Baptist, I'm sure they got grape juice. But anyway, it's going to be super. I mean, th- that's going to be when we get to heaven, we're going to be full of joy. Why in the world would God want us to be miserable here and have joy there? I think He wants joy in our life. Period. I think God wants great joy for all people. Now, what was significant about this is, once again, he's not talking to the scholars. He's talking to the shepherds. The good news that brings great joy is for all people. White people, even though we can't clap on rhythm. I watched y'all during the song. We're like... Good news is for white people, black people, Hispanic people, good people, bad people, old people, young people, rich people, poor people, gay people, straight people, Clemson people. (laughs) Carolina people. But it's harder to love Carolina people. I'll tell you why. Every time you guys score a touchdown, which, let's be honest, it's not a lot. But every time you score a touchdown at Williams Rice, the rooster crows, right? And when Peter denied Christ the third time. Every time you score a touchdown, you're denying Jesus. And that's why I think it's a little bit harder now, if any of the people that I listed bothered you, here's why. Because we categorize. And we got to be careful when we categorize because when we categorize, we demonize. And how dare us demonize somebody that was created in the image of God. And if the gospel is not for them, the gospel is not for us and we're all screwed. All people. All people. That's what, that's what the angel said. I'm just going to go with the angel. I'm going to go with what the angel said over what the angry religious guy on the corner said. Why are you on the corner anyway, bro, with a sign? Don't you have a friend? Anyway, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, not the advisor, not the encourager, not the homeboy, but the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, not Jerusalem, But Bethlehem, in the city of David, the Savior, the Savior. You know why God sent a Savior? We needed to be saved. Yeah. This this happened to me recently, and so it kind of brought this up. Um, Every once in a while, people will ask me, do I want to go on some sort of outdoor activity with them? And my answer is always no. 
I, listen, if you enjoy outdoor stuff, praise God that you enjoy outdoor stuff. I don't want to go hiking. The last time I went hiking with my daughter, I sprained my ankle and couldn't walk for two weeks. And all we were doing was walking down a straight path. No rocks, no anything. It's just doofus here. Just a <laughs> and I fall down, and I just got injured. I don't want to go snow ski. I don't want to fish. I don't want to hunt. I had a guy reach out to me this week going, hey, man, I got a group of pastors going to Bolivia to go hunting. Would you like to go with us? I'm like, huh? A group of pastors with guns in a foreign country. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'll stay right here. Good. I'm good in Anderson right here. Love Anderson. Like, I don't, I don't want to do activities. So, um, but every once in a while, every once in a while, I'll think, you know what? I, I, need to, I need to get out of my comfort zone. So I got invited to go to this youth camp and speak at this youth camp. It's great. And then on like Thursday of that week, we were all going to go tubing for our activity. We're going to tube down a creek. How hard does that sound? I was like, oh, we're going to, oh, I'm in. I'm all, I'm all about tubing down a creek. A couple things they didn't tell me. Number one, the creek was at flood stage. Number two, there were rip currents in the creek. Left that out. So I get in my tube, and I'm going down the creek, and like 30 seconds in, I flip out of my tube. No problem. You just stand there and wait on the tube to come by because some kid fell out up the river. Not my responsibility. So I just get the tube, keep on going down the river. Second time, I fell out of the tube. I fell under, and I got caught, pulled under by a rip current. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It will, oh, my God. I was praying and cussing at the same time. Have you ever prayed and cussed at the same time? Don't look at me like you just had to polish your halo before you walked in today. If you have never prayed and cussed at the same time, go get on Clemson Boulevard today, and it will happen to you. And I mean, I was, I was praying and cussing and screaming. I was doing everything I could to get out of the situation. I didn't, and you know, during that time, I didn't need advice. I didn't need a manual on what to do when you're in a rip current. I didn't even need a group of people praying for me on the bank. I needed to be saved. And I, re I just remember I just reached out my hand, and just there just happened to be this root that was coming out of the bank. It was really strong. And if I had not grabbed a hold of that root, I don't think I would have lived through it. It didn't help me. It saved me. And at the end of the day, spiritually, I never needed help. I always needed help saved. And that's what Jesus does. What does he save us from? I've had people ask me that. Well, I'm so glad you asked. He saves us from our past. And there's not one single person in this room that as you look back over your past, there's not something that you regret. There's a decision that you made or a series of decisions that you made that absolutely leads to hurt, pain, regret, sorrow, disappointment. And the good news is that Jesus saves us from our past. The second thing that he saves us from is our present. There's some people here today going through some stuff in your life that's really got you weighed down. And listen, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you as soon as you pray and ask Jesus in your life, all your bills get paid, all your problems go away, all your issues are resolved. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you those things. What I am going to tell you is when you pray and ask Jesus Christ into your life, you'll never have to go through another storm alone. And I would much rather go through a storm with Jesus than without Jesus. And here's why. Jesus always makes it through the storm. 
Sometimes he just speaks and calms the storm down just like that. Sometimes he goes with you through the storm, but at the end of the day, no matter what you're going through, Jesus will get you through it because he never leaves us and he never abandons us and he's always with us. And the third thing that he saves us from is he saves us from our future. I can't tell you the number of ridiculous decisions that Jesus has prevented me from making, but not only that, I don't know a ton about the afterlife, but I do know there is this place called heaven. I do know it's going to be immeasurably more than anything we could ask or imagine. And I do know that because Jesus is my Savior, that's where I spend eternity. And if he's your Savior, that's where you spend eternity as well. This is what he saves us from. At the end of the day, he showed up at a dirty place telling dirty people that felt like they weren't good enough, they weren't doing enough, and they were a disappointment to God. That's who he announced the birth of Jesus to. All people. All people. All people. With that in mind, can we stand? Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just want to pray for every single person in this room. I want to thank you for those that know you as Savior. God, that we could truly celebrate the fact that we love you because of what you've saved us from. And Jesus, I want to pray for those that have never accepted you as Savior. Jesus, that we would pause and realize, Jesus, that it's, it's not us being good. It's about the fact that you are good and that you'll save us if we only ask. God, I pray that over these next few moments, we could just focus on the phrase of how much we love you.